Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Amen. That's terrible. Hey, amen. I am so glad that you're here, and what a great way to start a Sunday morning with other worship and with baptism, and uh, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, where you are at in your journey, baptism is a beautiful picture of what God does uh, in our life, and so I'm delighted to get to be a part of that, and we have a lot of others who are going through the process, getting ready for baptism, so it's good to know that we're in a place where God is still saving people, Amen. And so bring your friends, bring those that you wonder whether they have a relationship with God, bring your family members, Uh, maybe you're a little awkward sharing Jesus with them, I ain't scared, I'll tell them, and we'll give them an opportunity to respond, and then the choice uh, will be theirs, and so I am, I'm seriously glad you're here. Y'all look good today, you look good, and it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Well, we're still in the book of of James, and it is a book, the most practical book, arguably, in the whole Bible, by what we call the blue-collar scholar, the half-brother of Jesus. And the reason this book is so applicable, so practical, and so rich and good for us is because most of us can identify with the author. You see, James lived his whole life with Jesus, and he knew he was a good dude, but the Messiah, not so much. But when he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, which was intentional on Jesus' part, it rocked his world. And you and I have to get to a place where we have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. You see, information and knowledge and awareness of who Jesus is, James had that growing up. But it had to get to a place where the resurrected Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He's the one that can save you from the inside out. And it has to be a personal thing. And and so James has been writing this incredible letter to the early church. And as we say, God's word is not an old book. It is an eternal book. It is inspired. It is the breath, the Ruach Elohim. It is the breath of the living God. And, And so it's for us. It's for you. Tell the person next to you, today's for you. Now tell the person next to you, it's going to get personal. But don't get upset with the preacher. Go ahead and tell him. Now, James is awesome. So what he does, he's, he's helping us understand where we are on our, in our walk with God or on our journey with Jesus. He, he's going to help us identify how we're doing. And so, you know, if you're in school, the way the teacher tracks how you're coming along with the subject matter is the teacher offers a quiz or a test. And so James is offering a series of tests and quizzes. And so he begins and he says... Right out of the chute, he said, listen, first of all, uh, who's in control of your life? Are you the master or is he the master? Are you the king or is he the king? Are you the sheriff or is there a new sheriff in town? And and so he says, I, James says, I am a doulos now. I mean, I'm his half-brother, but I ain't even talking about that. I am a slave to him. And then he goes on, he says, okay, once you get that right, let me ask you a question. Are you finding joy in the troubles of life? In the tribulations, the difficult days, we all have them. And the closer you get to Jesus, it seems like the more they show up. Are you finding joy in those tribulations and in those troubles? And then he goes on. He says, okay, maybe you're doing that well. What about this? How about temptations? Are you finding victory over those temptations that seem to have your name written on them? 
I mean, it's like Christmas gifts with your name on it. That's what this temptation is. It just keeps coming up. Are you finding victory in that through the Holy Spirit? And then he goes on. He says, okay, let me ask you this then. You're doing okay on those quizzes. What about this? How much do you care for other people? Do you care for other people more than you care for your own world? Or is the whole world revolving around your world? And then he goes on, he says, okay, what about this? He says, what about this faith that you have on the inside? Is it showing up on the outside? Is it a faith that works? Is, it, is, is what you say is on the inside, is it manifested in the way you live your life? And, and then he goes on, he says, okay, what about this one? He says, uh, are you arguing and quarreling a lot? Does it seem like your name is connected to quarrels more than it is peace? And then he goes on and he says, okay, let me ask you this. Are you exercising and walking in God's wisdom, heaven down wisdom, or are you aware now that you're operating in a hell up wisdom, which doesn't bring peace at all? And and he goes on and on with these quiz or these tests. Now, last week in the first six verses, he said, okay, now that we've kind of completed the quiz or we're getting further along in the quiz, uh, maybe you realize I got a D minus. Maybe you got a B. Probably didn't get an A if you were transparent and honest. God certainly is. Let him grade you. And it's not graded on the curve. We don't compare ourselves to somebody worse. We compare ourselves to the ultimate standard, Jesus. All right? And all of a sudden we realize, maybe I'm going to do it so good. So James landed last week. He says, maybe the reason you failed the test is you still have a problem on the inside. And your problem on the inside requires a solution from the outside. And for that to happen, you need to get to a place in your life where you choose to be on the right side. And when you do, he will send his Holy Spirit to come alongside. Now, that's where it stopped. That's where he landed. Now, he goes on in the middle of that or at the end of that, and he says, now let me tell you something. If you want to get this thing right, there's a condition of the heart that is required and it's called humility (laughs) that's a dirty word to most of us we don't even like to think about that word and he says for you to get this you have to be humble you see God said if you're a friend with the world you're an enemy of God James says if 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 that God only offers grace to the humble and he resists the proud and so that's kind of where we landed last week and we get to this place where We have to ask ourselves a serious question based on the quizzes that have been offered by James, and it is the most significant question you will ever ask and the most significant question you will will ever let the Holy Spirit answer in your life. Are you ready for the greatest question in your life? Am I an authentic Christian or am I not? Here's the question. If life for you ended today, would you be in God's heaven tomorrow? That's it. The most important thing you'll ever find out. The most important thing you'll ever nail down. If my life ends today, do I find myself in God's heaven tomorrow? Nothing else matters. Everything else pales in comparison to that one thing. And so James is going to help us sort through that. He's given us these quizzes. By now, if you've been here, the Holy Spirit should have kind of convicted of some areas and maybe encouraged and challenged us in some areas. And so now we're, we're to the place where we get to figure out what do we do next. 
And so James is going to help us. Now, now, last week he said this beautiful thing. He says, God gives greater grace. And then he says, God gives grace to the humble. Now, let's talk about this greater grace because this is beautiful. The, in the Greek, it's megas charis, which means much grace. You know what that means? You don't have a sin in your life that he doesn't have greater grace to cover it. That's awesome. Because I have people come say, Pastor, I did this. And I say, you did? Well, grace is greater. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know. I did this. Oh, you did that one? Grace is greater. But pastor, nobody knows this, but this is part of my life. You gotta be kidding. Grace is greater. It doesn't matter. Greater grace is always greater than the sin that's placed under it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, let me... Let me explain. So, so I've said all that about how we have to get to a place where we're aware of our lost condition. We receive Jesus into our life and greater grace. How does that play out in the life of a Christian? So the church I was raised at is Norris Baptist Church. And about three weeks ago, they had a 75th church anniversary. And, and, and I had a, an amazing dad and mom, and, and they drug. I tell people I have a drug problem. They drug me to church all the time. And they wanted us to be anywhere Jesus was going to be talked about. We'd go to Billy Graham revivals. We'd go to tent revivals. Some who'd have thought it, never heard of this guy, but they'd take us to the tent revival. Anywhere to get us somewhere, especially me. I know they, they knew I'd probably needed greater grace more than my brothers, and that's fair. Okay? And, I, and I, I'm glad they did. And, and so in all of their getting me to the place, exposure to the greatness of God and the grace of Jesus we landed in this church in a revival, and the worship leaders, a guy named John Alvis, and he was going through some records getting ready for the 75th anniversary of that church. And he ran across this bulletin, and this is the old school church bulletin. It says, volume number 21. You know you old school when you volumize your bulletins. The date is May 21st, 1972. Young people like, man, that's when they were writing on rocks. I didn't even know they had paper for a bulletin, right? Well, they chiseled it on stone, and we made a copy of it. And in this bulletin, May 21st, 1972, I tell people I was 10. I was 9 years and 10 months old. And on Friday night of a revival, I had an encounter with grace. And Jesus introduced himself to me. And I didn't understand why it was, he was just speaking to me. And when it was all said and done, he wasn't just speaking to me. He was speaking to others. But I was the first one to receive it. And so on that night, I got saved. Well, in the bulletin on May 21st, it says, Welcome these new members by salvation and baptism. And on this list, Joel do. That's where the journey began. That's where I had an encounter with grace. Now, here's the thing. I was nine years, ten months old. I'm... I can shamefully say to you, confess to you, that the greater part of my sin that required forgiveness happened post May 21st, 1972. Most of my sin in my life that had to be put under the, 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 the sacrifice of Jesus upon a cross was after I was saved. Because sometimes we think, well, once I get saved, I'm perfect. That's not true. You won't be perfect till the outside matches the inside, till your body is glorified to match your redeemed soul on the inside. And that is when Jesus returns. So here's greater grace. Since 1972, that's almost 50 years, 
Jesus has continued to pour greater and greater grace in my life. I want you to know, the life of a Christian, sometimes we forget. It's the best life God has offered to this globe. Following Jesus is the best thing that can ever happen to anybody's life. And it began in 1972. And every single day that I wake up, there's greater grace extended in my direction. And I want you to know, he extends it in your direction too. So, so how do we do this thing called Christianity? Or what if we realize we're not even on the journey yet? What if, what if you look around and you see somebody, and man, they're in. They are in with Jesus. I mean, they're the captain of Team Jesus in your community. They're on the, they're, they're on the A game all the time. They're, it's obvious. They read their Bible. They talk about it. They're praying because they say, oh, I'll pray for you. They're attending church and serving faithfully. They pass the quiz, right? And then you find yourself over here, and you don't even get that. You have a head knowledge. You, got, you know some facts about Jesus, you know. He's born of a virgin and died on a cross. you got some things going on knowledge-wise. But in terms of a, a living relationship with the creator God, it's not there. Or maybe most of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. I'm not reading my Bible every day. I'm not praying every day. I'm not telling people about Jesus. I'm not serving in the church. I'm not living for Jesus this day like it's my last. But I'm not that person over there either. I've got more than a head knowledge. I had an encounter with grace. But I find myself in this place where Christianity is just not that victorious. It's kind of lukewarm maybe apathetic, maybe a little miserable, and certainly defeated. I'm on the journey, but I really don't love the journey. Some days I'd rather walk over here with the world, and some days I'll walk with Jesus. That's where most people land. James, who's writing a letter to Christians, pauses his letter in chapter 4, verse 6 through 11, and he says, listen, we need to get this grace thing right. We need to ask ourselves some tough questions. I've given you some quizzes. Based on your response to those quiz, quizzes, let's just get real serious right here and ask ourselves a question. If my life ended today, would I find myself in God's heaven tomorrow? Now, he's going to help us understand more about that, what it looks like, how we get to the place where we receive it. Because he says, humble, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? In my life, there's times where I haven't been fully surrendered to Jesus' plan. So I would gradually turn my way away from God. I turn my back on. I'm still saved. But I've walked away from God's will for my life. And I've embraced the world. And I've gotten consumed by things in the world. Pride says, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I can live this life and still be okay with God. We live in that gray area of margin. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is whispering, saying, hey, I want you to come home. I want you to come home. I want you to come home. Humility says, I don't want to live in pride anymore. Humility says, you're right, God. And we turn back toward God. That's repentance. Repentance is a 180-degree turn back to God. And we start walking home. Now, here's the beauty of greater grace. 
as soon as we turn, sometimes we think we've got to travel for a while to get back to God. As soon as we turn, we find out, whoa, he's, right, he's stalking you. He, he's right there on you. He's right there waiting for you to turn back. And when we have a heart of humility and we have a heart of repentance, he meets us as soon as we turn to him. It's beautiful. It's what God does. It's the greatness of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And so God's grace is perpetual. It's always flowing from his throne in the direction of those that would receive it. God's grace will never stop being needed, and God's grace will never stop being extended in your direction. And so James is going to help us understand more about that today. And on the back of your worship guide, you can take some notes to share with your friends. Because I know y'all don't need this because you got your journey all figured out. But you got friends, man, they messed up. So you can take these notes and it'll help you. So on the back of the worship guide, the title is called A Fresh Encounter with Grace. You see, in 1972, my journey began. But it, doesn't, it, it, it didn't stop. Salvation has tenses. I was saved. I currently am being saved. And eternally, I will be saved. And, and so we need fresh encounters with grace. Every time we miss the mark, which is what sin is, to miss the mark. Every time we miss the mark in the slightest way, we need grace. And it is a fresh encounter with grace that keeps us moving in the right direction. And so point number one is this, how do we have a fresh encounter with grace? Number one, position yourself for grace. You have to position yourself for grace. James is saying, church, Wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you need a fresh or first time encounter with grace or whether you just need a freshen up, all right? <laughs> My wife has her nails did. She gets a fill-in. Ladies, any of y'all get a fill-in? First time I heard that, I thought, what in the world are you talking about? Going to get a fill-in. Well, that's the way it is with grace. Sometimes we're already saved. We just need a fill-in. We need a little freshen up. All right? And that's what God's, that's what James is saying. So listen to what he says. We position ourselves for grace. Verse 7, in the first part of 8, he says this. He says, so submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is really important in your Christian journey. I want you to know this. God loves you, and the devil hates you. You see, you need to know that at play over your soul, over your life, over your victory in Jesus, at play is a war unseen, a battle of the unseen. It's the devil who the Bible says is the father of all lies. He's described as the great deceiver. He's described as the accuser. He's described as the roaring lion seeking to devour he is after you. He is on your tail. Meanwhile, Jesus comes along and he says, I'm everything opposite of that. I am the one who comes to give you life, abundant, full, free, and forever. And so that's what's at play in your life. And it's real. It's as real as you're sitting here. 
And, and so he says, now if you want to, to get on the life side of things, the victory side of things, the walking with God side of things, the, 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 the joy of our salvation side of things, he said it begins by submitting to God. Now, this word submit is hypotasso. What that means is it's a military term. It's a hierarchical word. It's a, a structure word. In the military, when you enlist or when you get drafted or whatever, when you go in the military, you are at this level, base level. Everybody else is above you except the people that came in with you. And your whole life in the military, you report to somebody. And that's what it's talking about. To have a walk with God that's victory, that has victory over the devil means we submit to God. It means we realize I am not in charge. Jesus is. I am on team Jesus. Now, I got to pause right here because when I say that, sometimes it's difficult, especially for men. Ladies do this better. If I said, ladies, could you, could you stand up all by yourself and say, I am on team Jesus. Jesus is the master of my life. Most women would do better than men because men struggle being submissive to anything, especially Jesus, because he's not tangible or so it doesn't seem. And so we have to get first an awareness of who it is we're submitting to. When we submit to God, we're submitting to Jesus. When we submit to Jesus, we're submitting in the power of the Holy Spirit, which are the three parts of God. To submit to God is to have an awareness that I'm giving my life to the king of the universe. I'm not giving my life to some feminized idea of who Jesus was. I'm giving my life to the one who whispered all of existence into place. I'm yielding myself to the one who not only created, but the Bible says sustains everything in existence. I'm yielding myself to the one who demonstrated his power over nature, over the water, over the storms, over the animal kingdom. I'm yielding myself to the one who gave sight to the blind and who gave uh, uh, walking to the paralyzed. I'm giving myself to the one who gave words to the moot. I'm giving myself to, the, myself to the one who did everything and at the end of it laid on a cross and died for me and rose again on the third day. All of a sudden, yeah, I'm on team Jesus. Guys in the place, you need to get to a place where you're bold in declaring, you know what? I know what the world's doing. I'm on team Jesus. He said, "That's I, I'm not in. I'm not in because the one I report to, the one I submit to, he said no. Ladies, same thing's true for you. And quite honestly, you do a better job at that than most men. And so it begins when we submit to God. Now, when we submit to God, it changes our actions. You see, a submission to God on the inside is not devoid of a life change on the outside. In fact, one of the ways that we demonstrate how submitted we are to God is how submitted we are to others. You say, well, how can we be submitted to both? It's like this. If God tells us to uh, have a relationship with people that looks like this, then to be submitted to God, we're submitted in that relationship. Let me explain. A middle school boy who says he's submitted to God but refuses to make his bed because his mother 
told him to, is not actually submitted to God at all. A man who says he's submitted to God, but he is not faithful to his wife. He does not provide for his family. Uh, He does not love his wife like Christ loved the church. He's not actually submitted to God at all. A woman who says she's submitted to God, but she is not faithful to her husband. She is unloving or rebellious to her husband. She tries to lord over him or control him. She's not submitted to God at all. If a college student says he or she is submitted to God, but on weekends they live a life with no moral compass, they get intoxicated and they uh, commit acts of immorality, they're not submitted to God at all. Submission to God and submission to others are not independent of each other. We can look at somebody's life, including our own, and judge based on how we obey the commands of God in dealing with other people. Now, that's personal, isn't it? Because you know the person in your life that, man, they don't play by the rules. It's obvious they hadn't done that. The truth is we often play this part. We often say we're submitted to God, but we're not submitted to the rules of engagement that God has given us through his scripture. Now, Here's what happens. When we submit to God, we say, okay, God, I'm submitting to you. You're my general. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my master. No longer are you my get out of hell free card. Now you're large in charge and in charge in my life. When we submit to God, we we don't even know it, but we have already made the move to resist the devil because we've turned toward God. He tells us, submit to God, resist the devil. Now, the word resist in the Greek means to plant your feet and take a stance that is in adamant opposition to the enemy. That's what it means, to take a stand. That's the other thing. You know it's true. We live in a world of jellyfish Christians. You know what a jellyfish Christian is, you know? You go to the beach and they're just, you know, this is just, you know, like that. You know, just going to squirrely around. No spine. They have no spine. And that's what Christianity often looks like in our world. We just embrace anything that comes along. I mean, oh, we're doing that now, Christian community, you know. That's what it it looks like. Meanwhile, God says, no, if I have redeemed you from the inside out, you need to grow a spine. You need to decide to plant your feet and to live for Jesus, submit to Jesus, and resist the devil. Now, he tells, us, uh, he tells us who the devil is. He says he is Diablos. He's the, uh, he's the liar and the accuser. Have you ever had a, a point in your life where it felt like the devil was just all over you? And maybe it's in the form of a temptation and you're just like, man, I wish, I wish the devil would just leave me alone, right? We've, hopefully you've been there. Well, James says when that happens, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, when we do that, when we decide on any given day that we are fully engaged and committed to Team Jesus, no longer are we in Team World, we're on Team Jesus, it seems like we're going to miss a whole lot of stuff. All of a sudden, it seems like we have to say no to all the stuff that everybody else is doing. I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. And we count the losses rather than counting the gains. You see, 
in God's kingdom agenda, it's not instantaneous gratification that's his goal. It's long-term blessing and long-term success and long-term greatness. Let me explain what that looks like. So in 1980, I went to Tennessee Tech. And I'd already, I already told you that I got saved in 1972 and most of my sin happened post-salvation. Well, most of my sin happened from 1980 and 1981. That's where most of it was. Because when you go to college to get educated, you get real stupid real fast. You know, you ever known somebody like that? Not yourself, obviously, but somebody else. And so 1980 and 1981, I was, I was stupid and I was sinful and I was rebellious. And then I met Kendra and Kendra said, I don't play stupid. Okay, we're not going to do that. We're not? No? Okay. And we're not going to do that either. We're not? I thought we could. No? Okay. And so God used her as kind of my number two Holy Spirit to help me get to the place where God originally intended me to be in 1972. And, and so I began to, to, to see a difference in my life. So by 1983, I had met a friend named Jack Wilmore, and we managed dormitories beside each other, and we had a lot of classes together. And he was a believer, you know, a 20-year-old believer trying to figure it out, the balance, and I was too. But along came Jack's brother, Barry, nicknamed Butch. Butch shows up as a freshman. He's different. He's a different kind of Christian. He didn't come to school to get real stupid. He came to school to live for Jesus and to get an education. He majored in electrical engineering. He was an A student, football scholarship. Junior and senior year, he was the captain of the team. And he would carry his Bible with his calculus book to class. He would carry his Bible. This is before backpacks. We didn't have no backpacks back in the day. We were men. We carried our books. So he'd carry his book, but he'd carry his Bible. And then in his dorm room, he would have football players over, and he'd have Bible studies. And while a lot of the football team and a lot of the people were acting like a bunch of yahoos, he didn't do that. And his life was just kind of humble. And he, he graduated with honors in electrical engineering. He moved to Knoxville and he got a master's degree in, I think it's called aviation systems. He got his master's degree with honors and he joined the Navy. Joined the Navy, they put him in a fighter jet like Top Gun. He's flying off of an aircraft carrier going into foreign lands bombing the enemy. <laughs> yeah. Now, he finishes flying with the Navy, and he was so good, he began to fly to be a test pilot for new technology, stressing jets and all that stuff. You know, the kind of stuff we all kind of think would be cool. He gets out of that. He starts flying like for the Thunderbirds or the Blue Angels or one of those, the Navy group of that. And his life just began humble, carrying his Bible to class. And inviting people to Bible study. You know what he does today? Flies a space shuttle. My, any, any of y'all know anybody flies a space shuttle? No, that's what I thought. I just trumped everybody in here. Yeah, he flies a space shuttle. He, he and one other guy are on the list for the next trip up. He's already been up there around and around. Now, I, I say that to say, on the front end of submitting to God and resisting the devil, it may, we may not see all the benefits. Young people, this is really important for y'all. 
Some of us already messed ours up. But if you get this right early, God extrapolates. He, he compounds your commitment, your submission to him. And you can't see the future, but he does. And he's, I'm, I'm, there is no doubt in my mind, God in his heaven on his throne has abundant blessings that he wishes he had somebody submitted that he could give them to. I believe that with all that's in me. And so the sooner we get the fact that we're not in charge of our life and we give ourselves to King Jesus, we begin to resist the devil. God is right there. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, submit and resist. And then he says to draw near. He says, the devil will flee from you. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now watch this. The, the more we submit to God in our life, the more things we submit to God, the closer we're getting to God. The closer we get to God, the further away the devil gets. You know why? He can't handle God. He tried and got booted. So the closer we get to God, all of a sudden, the further he will be. And those temptations... We, be, we begin to get more victorious over them. We begin to not lose the battle as much to them. And he begins to be a distant enemy because we're empowered by the fact that we are submitted to the God of the universe. And he has drawn near to us. He is up close and personal. That's what God wants for every single one of us. He wants us to be victorious in our Christian life. Now, how do we do that? How do we draw near to God? How do we learn how to submit better to, to God and know what he wants from our life? How do we know what is submissive to God and what's submissive to the world? The word of God. That's it. Let me just be bold, personal. If you don't read your Bible, some, about every day, you're losing. You're losing. You're not submitted to God at all. You say, well, that's a little harsh because I love you. If you're not in God's word, you cannot be victorious over the enemy. How do I know this? Jesus, he's a good one to ask. Jesus lived his life for 30 years just like everybody else, only perfect. And then when he's about 30 years old, his ministry began. It began like we began the service a little while ago with baptism. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and when he came out it's really cool one of the very few times the Trinity shows up Jesus the son of God standing there all wet just got baptized God the, the, the other part of the Trinity speaks from heaven hey that's my boy I'm pleased the Holy Spirit the third part of the Trinity comes down lands on him they're all right there together in the Jordan and you think okay now he's going to go do some stuff yeah he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasts and he prays because he had to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Satan himself. He has this encounter face-to-face -face with Satan <clears throat> and Satan, scripture says, tempted him like any temptation we've ever had. All of the categories of sin, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, that's the three categories of sin. It's in the garden, it's in the wilderness. And unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus smoked the devil. 
And you know how he did it? Quoted scripture. All three of them he quoted from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. You can beat the devil with Deuteronomy. You can beat him with James. Genesis. It don't pick you a book and learn it well and use it to smack the devil in the side of the head every time he comes in your direction. You read the rest of that story. It says, after Jesus defeated Satan in the, in the wilderness, the devil left him. He submitted to God and the word of God and defeated the enemy. It's the same, for, the same is true for you. He wants the same thing for you. So, so we position ourselves uh, before God for grace. Number two, we prepare ourselves for grace. He goes on and he says this now. So now we're, we're engaging in, man, this potential to have a fresh encounter with the grace, the glorious grace of God in our life. What do we do? He says, cleanse your hands, you sinner, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and weep and turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Well, that's just not the happiest verse we've ever read. No, you know why? Because that word in there where he says sinners, that's hey martelos. He's saying realize how depraved you are. Realize how ungodly you are. Realize how badly you need grace in your life. It's not supposed to be happy. He says weep and mourn and stop laughing. Sin is no laughing matter. And we, we turn on the news and we see these people glorying in their shame and in their sin. And God on his throne says, listen, I've paid the price for that. It's not a laughing matter. Those sins ought to be wept over. When is the last time that the Holy Spirit convicted your heart so much that tears flowed down your face? I remember back in the day, us old people do, when revival would happen. And revival is for Christian people, not for lost people. Lost people can be saved at revival. But revival is for people to have a fresh encounter with grace. You can't be revived until you've been vived. And, and so I remember at these revivals, these people just start crying. They come down to the altar and just weep. I'm like, good land. It's because the power of God through the Holy Spirit was in the place and it convicted their hearts. You, James is saying, listen, you and I need to get to that place where we realize, woe is me. We're, we're like Peter. I am unclean. We're like Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips and I hang out with people of unclean lips. We got to get to that place where we, we know we are messed up. We're in here today, and now don't look, don't look over, but the person next to you has so much sin in their life. Don't look over, because I don't want them to look at you either. Are you ready? The guy on the stage has so much sin in his life. David said, God, cleanse me of the unknown sins. Not just the sins of commission, the things I do that I shouldn't do. Sins of omission. The stuff I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't, wasn't even aware of it because I'm that confused in my journey with Jesus. And so he says, hey, listen, change your actions. Cleanse your hands. And he says, calibrate your hearts. And he says, make your hearts right. 
He said, and stop two-timing, being double-minded. Stop straddling the fence. Stop jumping from one side to the other. Oh, I want to be in team world today. Well, that didn't work out. I'm going to be on team Jesus today. He says, pick a team. Grow a spine and live for Jesus. Now, he says, change your hearts, calibrate, uh, change your actions, calibrate your hearts. And he says, come to terms with sin. Now, now he says, let your, let your joy become sorrow and your laughter become mourning. Well, great. There's a good reason to get saved so I can be miserable the rest of my life. Is that what that means? No. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. I'm full of joy. He's saying, be sorrowful about your sin. Be brokenhearted about your unwillingness to fully submit to Jesus. Get right with that stuff and it'll break your heart. Oh boy. Sorrow lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. On the other side of that moment, that fresh encounter with grace, where we realize, I gotta have some. I need some grace. I need forgiveness, God. I am not right with you. Please forgive me. It comes rushing in. Joy comes in the morning. It doesn't mean you're supposed to walk around like some do as a Christian. Like I said last week, and they say, hey, I could look like this if I want. I was baptized in lemon juice, tempered with onions, and this is what it looks like. Praise Jesus. That ain't it. That's not it at all. We have, we have a greater reason to be full of joy than anybody because we've experienced a fresh encounter with grace. We understand greater grace. There's nothing that we do that God's grace can't cover. Number three, we got to posture ourselves for grace. Now, this is the hardest one. So far, to simply turn from the devil and turn to God and read the Bible, those are all relatively easy. This is the most difficult one. I'll just tell you in advance. But if we get it, great things happen. He says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Great. Humble yourselves before the Lord. That word humble means to bring low, to abase, or to descend. If I ask you today, hey, church, why don't we just all humble ourselves? Let's just lower ourselves before God. Let's just all get on our knees before God and confess our sin. You would think I asked you to run around up and down Emory Road buck naked. You'd be so set, about, set back. I, I can't do that. So, especially guys. I can throw guys under the bus. I am one. We hate this. We feel exposed, vulnerable. Hey, watch this. Watch this. Y'all ready? We hate this even more. I got nothing. If y'all wanted to come up here and kill me right now, I, I'd probably, you'd beat me to the punch. We don't want to get low. It's not our nature. A guy wants to be up here, large and in charge. And James says, no, humble yourself. Get before God and say, God, in this moment, I just became aware again. You are everything and I'm nothing. You bring everything to the table to give to me because I brought nothing to the table. And when we understand that, all of a sudden submitting to God and resisting the devil and drawing near 
gets amazing. Now, I shared in my testimony that I got saved when I was nine years and 10 months old, 1972. In 1986, Kendra and I had gotten married and he put us in a great church and the Holy Spirit came to me again and he said, you need some greater grace because I've got a greater plan for your life and it all changed again. Now, I asked Kyle for permission for this. Uh, The young man that I baptized, um, I called him because he put on his card, I need to be baptized, I want to be baptized. So I called him, I said, hey, yeah, that's awesome. Let's get this set up. And I said, I'd like to know about your testimony. And in essence, he said, it's, it, I don't have that much of a testimony. It's probably nothing you hadn't heard before. Whew, boy, I lit up on that one. I lit up on that one. Because sometimes people think that about their testimony. And I went and met with him. And, and Kyle moved here from California and had a... He doesn't have a life that most of us would, would write that other people would want. He didn't have a father. That's a hard life, right? It's a hard life. But now he has a father, the best father who's ever existed, God. And I told him about a friend of mine that I went to seminary with. He was a big old guy, and we were on a project together, and we went to dinner. And I said, hey, how'd you end up in seminary? What's what's your story, your testimony? And I've shared this before, but I'm gonna share it again. He said, well, you can tell I'm a big guy. And he was, he was about 6'6", weighed about 280 pounds. And he said, I've always been a big guy. And he said, in high school, the local drug dealer came to me and asked me if I would collect for him. So I was a collector. And then I started having a route with drugs. And he said, I accumulated a lot of money. He paid me really good. He said, I was a good collector. And he said, I accumulated about six or eight nice cars and 14 houses. And he said, I was living the life. And he said, and then one day I did what I wasn't supposed to do. And that is to take the product that I'm supposed to be distributing and snort it into my life. And he said, in a matter of about 18 months, I lost all my houses and my cars. And my life was in a gutter. And everything fell apart. And my dealer got convicted, went to prison. He said, but in all that, the dealer had a a girl in his harem, in his group, that I've just always admired. And he said, I went to her and said, hey, I've always kind of been in love with you. Would you go out on a date with me? And she said, yeah. They started dating and he said, would you marry me? She told him, I can't marry you. And he said, why? And she said, I was raised in a Christian home. And I always told God I would not marry somebody who was not a Christian. To which he said, okay, how do I get to be one of those? She said, I'm not sure anymore. He said, on that Sunday night, we went to a little church outside of Atlanta. And the preacher preached. And he gave a response time. And he said, if you want to meet God... Jesus wants to come into your life to save you. And he said, she and I walked up front and he saved me. He took away my addictions. He took away my love for the world. And he pulled out his phone and he said, this is my wife and my four children. And that's why I'm in seminary. I'm, he's crying. I'm crying. We're just 
eating Chinese food. Got me all messed up. He said, I said, man, that's amazing. He said, what's your testimony? I said, from now on, it's the one you just told. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, my testimony is not that impressive. He said, I want to hear it. I said, I was raised in a Christian home, walked forward when I was about 10 years old and got saved, lived like a yahoo for the next 10 or 15 years. The Holy Spirit got me again in 1986, it's turned me around and set me on fire, and that's why I'm here. He's crying more. He said, I wish I had your testimony. And it dawned on me. Every testimony that has Jesus in the center of it is an amazing testimony. And if you're here today and you don't have a story with Jesus in the middle of it, his desire is to come and get in the middle of your story. Which leads me to the next point. Progress hinges on grace. He finishes up this passage in verse 11. He says, if you'll humble yourself, he says, he will lift you up. That's, that's the greatness of a God who is love. That his love extends beyond our sin. His love wants to radically come into the mess and turn it into a message. And he wants to do that for you. So the title of the message is A Fresh Encounter with Grace. I want you to know today that maybe you've already received grace for salvation but you haven't experienced greater grace lately to forgive and to heal all of those sins since your first encounter with grace. This could be your day for a fresh encounter with the grace that saved you. But listen to me. If on this day you struggle with where you even are with God, you're not even certain anymore if you're a child of God, if you've been sealed by the Spirit of God. You're not even certain. We don't know what tomorrow holds. You need to know. And on this day, you could receive grace for the very first time. And it would be a fresh encounter with grace. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. James paused his whole letter to share about grace and salvation and restoration and revival. And I know there are some here today who struggle with where you are with God. If on this day you realize that the Holy Spirit is inviting you into his forever family. And on this day, you would be willing to let go of pride. Pride that says, you know, I've been in church for the last 30 years, and I've said I was a Christian over and over and over. Pride. Pride says, I didn't really come here for that. I, I don't want all of that. Pride. But if you set that aside, and in humility, you say, God, I want to be a recipient 
of your amazing grace. I know I'm a sinner. Check the box. I believe you love me anyway. I believe you died in my place. I want Jesus to come into my life to be the new ruler, master, Lord, and king of my life. I receive your grace gift today. Thank you for choosing to love and save somebody like me. Maybe you've given yourself to God. You've received his grace. But you're in a place today where you know with certainty you need a fill-in. You need a freshen up. You need a fresh encounter with God. He wants that for you. So what do we do? We simply tell God our heart. We confess. We repent. We turn and resubmit to God, resist the devil, and begin to draw closer to God and let him draw close to us. Because there's nothing in this world that is better than a fresh encounter with God through grace. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for James. I thank you for the letter. I thank you for the baptisms, the marks of salvation today that we experienced. I thank you for every single person who's gathered in this place. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have his way. I pray that any other spirit but the Holy Spirit would be bound from this place. And I pray, God, that people would on this day choose to be found on the right side. And they would choose you because you have already chosen them. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.